Welcome to the Human Conversation Podcast with Jules White, the real dragon slayer, author and entrepreneur sales coach. Tune in weekly for human conversation about business and sales. Enjoy business expert interviews, educational episodes, and virtual cuppers with entrepreneur business owners. So grab yourself a cuppa and enjoy. Here is your host, Jules White. So welcome to the Human Conversation um, and my podcast. And I have a wonderful guest today who is Mark Kingston-Jones. Now, here's the interesting thing. He's a co-founder. He's co-founder of Team Building with Byte. How amazing is that name? And he is all about team building through animal welfare. So hello, Mark. Hi, how's it going? It's really good. Welcome to my podcast. It's so cool to have you on here. No, thank you for having me. I appreciate your time. So the thing about us is we've met on LinkedIn, um, Mm -hmm. which I've met a lot of my guests on LinkedIn. It's such an amazing platform. And we did have what I like to call a virtual cuppa. People who listen regularly to me will, will hear me say that. We literally had a Zoom call just to get to know each other. That was probably, I don't know, was it a year ago or, or slightly less? I, th- I would have said it might have been a little bit more, actually. I think okay. You, you were my first official virtual cuppa. So oh, see? You, inspired, you inspired me to go forward and do, do more. So I appreciate that. How amazing is that? I am feeling very good about that. So the thing about that is, look, how fast does time go? Um, And obviously for the podcast listeners, I want to make sure that we find out all about Mark. Um, I know what you do, but I obviously probably am not up to date with what you're doing now because I think in that time, I bet you've done a lot more stuff. So I'm going to ask you all about that. But I want to know, before we start talking about your business now, where did it all start for Mark? You know, when did you leave school? What did you do? Um, so I, I always had a plan that I wanted to work with animals and then I got to A-levels and that plan kind of went out the window because I was told I wasn't good enough to do biology A-level. Um, so I, I took a slight tangent and decided I'd do psychology instead. Um, you know, humans are a slight second best to, to animals. Nice. So. <laughs> I like um, it. But, um, but yeah, no, so I, I decided I'd do that and I, I registered for uni um, and I fell in love with um, the campus at Stirling Uni up in Scotland. And then I got my results and unfortunately I didn't get the result that I needed. I was only six points short of, of the, the, uh, the B grade that I needed. Oh. Um, so I was like, well, I still really want to go to the same place. So I'll, I'll take a gap year and um, I'll, I'll retake a couple of the exams and get those, hopefully get those extra six points that I need. Um, and then um, because I'd still had that love of wanting to try and do stuff with animals, um, I thought, well, well, I'm on my gap year. I'll, try and do a trip to Africa um so I signed up to do do that with a with an overseas company and um while I was out there I kind of thought I saw this advert for an opportunity to go and do some some stuff with lions in Zimbabwe um and that was at a point when everyone was saying don't go to Zimbabwe so Um, you did so I did obviously (laughs) sensible 18 year old that I was I was like yeah Yeah. nothing could possibly go wrong with this idea (laughs) Um, my parents on the other end of the phone, you know, back in the UK were less happy about the idea. I bet, yeah. Um, but we only went in for a couple of days, just me and um, one of the other guys I've been traveling with and loved it, came back out, um, crossed the border back into Zambia and then went, I've got to go back, which again, another phone call to the parents to sort of go, really sorry, <laughs> doing it again. Um, 
and uh, and yeah so I volunteered back at the place for about a week and a half um I nearly decided to stay there but then this time my parents burst into tears on the phone and like please come <laughs> uh, do you know do you know what though your thing is you see I'm a parent now are you a parent now yeah no I am yeah so you just change you really understand don't you when you become a parent why yeah. they made such a fuss of you you know and it is quite painful I think when you're worrying like that but but I also yeah. think good for you for following your heart and your dream you know so yeah pick up on the story again yeah, no. Well, so um, I mean, I did have a slightly sketchy experience the second time round as I was leaving. Um, I was dropped off at a bus station and was looking for my bus. And basically this guy just picked me up by my backpack and said, where are you going? <laughs> and this is like 18 year old boy plus backpack. It was quite heavy. And he just picked me up. My feet didn't touch the ground. And I said, you know, I'm trying to get to Bulawayo. And, uh, and he said, oh, I know your father. He'll want you to get on my bus. And he literally picked me up and walked me through the bus station. And put me on a bus and I just kind of looked at the bus driver and said uh where's this bus going and he said well away and I was like okay one ticket please oh my goodness. so I have no idea if this guy was just making sure he got the business or he was actually looking after me because yeah but that yeah that was a bit of a so then when my mum my literally burst into tears on the phone when I said I was thinking about going back and I'm like maybe I'm pushing my luck a little bit I'll come home and, and see what happens and I'm kind of glad I did and kind of joined the real world again but I, I just want to talk about this guy for just one second because it really fascinates me because you're right in saying that, you know, actually, logically, I'd say he was just touting for business for this, this friend of his, you know, the bus mm. driver. But actually, that kind of tactic of, oh, I know your father, you will want to get on this bus. That's mm. very emotionally driven, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I, I was just kind of like, as I was hanging there, I was like, I don't think you do. <laughs> no, exactly. Like, no, no, I do. You're coming, you're coming with me. Like, yeah. I, I say, it wasn't until I was sitting on the bus that I kind of like, did that actually just yeah. happen? Like, yeah. yeah. So as I say, I was like, yeah, well, I'm maybe pushing my luck a little bit, walking around, you know, Zimbabwe on my own. Um, so you're um, back in the UK now then, yeah? That's, yeah, that's so kind I, of where the yeah. story is, yeah? Yes. So, um, yeah, no, back in the UK and um, go to Stirling University and really enjoy it, but really think, actually, I've had this taste of working with animals now. I've got to get back to it. So... I was going to drop out and then one of my uni supervisors said, well, let me introduce you to somebody who might change your mind. And they introduced me to my um, old professor. She set me up working with one of her PhD students doing some research at Edinburgh Zoo and, and the rest is history, basically. Oh, that's amazing, isn't it? So, yeah. So I realised that the psychology was the back door to working with animals. I didn't need biology. And, um, and, and yeah, it's all kind of just grown from there, really. And, and you know, when, um, when I make these podcasts and I have these conversations, what I really love is that somebody may listen to this and what they might realize is actually it's not the be all and end all. Like if you can't do something, there could be something else you can do and then it actually leads to something you really love. And, I, you know, this is what I'm all about. I just adore these stories. So very, very inspirational, that story, isn't it, really, when you think about it? So you're now at Edinburgh Zoo. So I'm kind of still telling this story because it's really interesting. You're now at Edinburgh Zoo. Yeah, What's so doing some, doing some research on, on polar bears and tigers and it was my first real kind of opportunity to properly watch animals and, and sort of and do research really, which I'd never kind of considered before, but um, just behavioural research, just kind of watching what they do and, and taking notes, but also doing a lot of people watching as well, watching the visitors and watching their, their impressions, which wasn't part of the study, but just kind of, <laughs> I, I, I love people watching, yeah. which is kind of helpful in, in the jobs that I do now. Yeah. Um, and it just, yeah, just started a, a, a passion, really. So 
the next summer I actually um, asked if I uh, asked my professor if I could do my own research study and um, obviously took the very reasonable and logical step of designing um, with a product designer a remote control car for big cats. Um, <laughs> as you do. As you do. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, um, so yeah, one of, my, one of the guys who was traveling around Africa, he'd gone to uh, Brighton Uni to be a product designer and I just phoned him up and said, look, can we, can we make a remote control car that will stand up to a, a lion attack? And he went, yeah, I'm sure we can do that. <laughs> and, uh, and he actually still says I gave him his first three gray hairs. <laughs> in his yeah, <laughs> um, but he did it like he he was a, he did an amazing job like on a very tight budget he actually he designed a vehicle that that actually did survive mm. um and um and so that got me into the local safari park and then um i did some more research there and when i graduated because i'd been doing public talks and stuff on my research they said oh we've got this education job you know do you mind filling in for a couple of months while we wait for this person to come in and I said yes. I went in on a three-month contract, and and I left there a year and a half later. Um, and again, that was kind of I'd, I'd always planned to go into sort of being a keeper and, and working directly with the animals. But I really enjoyed the education route. I enjoyed talking to people and kind of sharing my passion. And um, it also allowed me to keep doing the research, which most most animal keepers, as much as they love the animals and they want to watch them and spend time with them, they actually don't get any time because there's so much other stuff you have to do. Yeah. Um, so the education allowed me to keep doing the research as well. So then when I moved, I moved down to Howlett's and Portland in Kent, um, you know, kind of big famous Aspinall parks. And um, I'd never really heard much about them before, um, uh, but it was a it was a temporary contract. And I went down, I was like, I'm just going to have a day out and look around the zoo. I'm not I'm not moving from Scotland to Kent for a six month contract and yeah. fell in love with the place. Just walked around for four hours and just spoke to some of the keepers. And I just thought this is amazing. What did you call that? Um... Did you say Aspinall Park? John, John Aspinall, the, the John famous... Aspinall. Yeah, uh, as in, yeah, the casino owner and um, oh, sort okay. of high roller and, yeah, yeah, who basically, again, another sort of founded his own, followed his own passion and, and basically started his own animal collections and, and built them from there. So, um, yeah. Like they, a, are they more like safari parks than zoos? Is that kind um, of the principle? I, mm, I, lots of places call themselves things other than zoos. But yes. the definition of a zoo is a zoological collection of animals. So even the safari park technically is a zoo. It's a zoo, but it, yeah. But it's amazing, again, the human psychology, it's amazing having worked at a safari park and having conversations with people about, oh, how zoos are bad. And I'm like, you're in, you're in a zoo. You're, you're looking at animals in enclosures. It's the same thing. It's just a different, because it's called a safari park, you have this psychological idea that it's a different thing. Yeah, so I, I wanna, I'm really interested in just chatting about that just for a minute and then we'll come back to obviously, you know, everything you're doing now because for me, I guess I am one of those psychological humans who says um, they're all caged up in a zoo, but guess what? In a safari park, they're all roaming free. So come, yeah. come on, tell me about that. What, what's that all about, Mark? My favourite analogy is imagine that you have to be locked up for a weekend and you either get the choice of being locked up in a Super Bowl arena. This is an American example. Yeah. You get to be locked up in a Super Bowl arena, but it's empty. Or you get to be locked up in your office. So in the Super Bowl arena, you've got all this space. You can run around. You can do whatever you like. But in your office, you've got your books. You've got your computer. You've got, you know, a lot of things at your disposal that would actually probably keep you entertained and stop you kind of banging your head off a wall after a couple of hours, you know, yeah. after the initial excitement of, Oh, I'm in the Super Bowl arena and I can run around and roll on the grass. And, and, and it's, it's a very, that's hugely generalistic, but 
obviously the ideal would be the Super Bowl arena full of stuff for you to do. That's yes. the very best that we can give. That's yeah. the best we can give our animals. That's the best we yeah. can give you know people in that situation. Um, but it's not necessarily about the the size. It's the quality of the space. Bigger enclosures generally, as a rule, are better. But big empty enclosures are actually potentially worse than a smaller, much more complex space. So yeah. it's 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 a very interesting thing. Like I, I, we in zoo design at the moment, there's this thing that people kind of don't. They want to get rid of the bars. They want to get rid of the mesh, um, and they want these kind of open topped enclosures. Which again, from a human point of view, give a real aesthetic you know the animal has freedom and it's not it's not it's not caged but actually if you're working with a, you know a really agile monkey that wants to climb and wants to use as much space as possible the usable space in a meshed enclosure compared to the same sized open enclosure is much much smaller although it looks bigger and it feels you know better it doesn't necessarily mean that it is so again, it's kind of, it's a really interesting thing I like to do with people who, are, who don't work with animals all the time, actually just look at the space and imagine that you were in that space and what, what is the animal getting out of that space? And it might be very pretty, yeah. but if it's not very functional, that's actually not, not great. Yeah. Um, and it, it must be about stimulation as well, you know, because like, uh, I, I would hate the thought of an animal just being completely bored and it must be really, in fact, do animals get depressed? I mean, I'm going to answer my own question. Surely they must. Yeah, no, absolutely, they do. Um, they, they. I mean, a lot of people, the the image of like an animal pacing backwards and forwards. A lot of people assume that's boredom. You know, they've got nothing else to do, so they just walk backwards and forwards. Actually, what we now know, you know, through good science, is that yes, boredom is one of many, many options. Um, it could be excitement. You know, if if you've got a a, a pet at home and yeah. you know you come home and the dog's really excited and the dog's going backwards and forwards and backwards and forwards, it's you know super excited and it's letting out that energy by kind of you know doing this kind of repetitive patterning thing. So yeah. it could be stress. It could be a, a desire to do something that it's it's programmed to do. You know, like bears, for example, when they're when they're supposed to be getting ready for for hibernation, they show an increase in pacing behaviour because they're programmed to search. Oh, wow. So our job to keep this, you know, a bear as happy as possible is to make sure that when they're programmed to search, we give them those opportunities in as many possible forms as we can so that they never get to a point where they're like, oh, well, I'm, you know, I've got nothing more to search for kind of thing. Again, it's a very kind of simple way of looking at it. It's, it's, that's essentially what we do through enrichment. So that's, um, that's always been my passion, even, you know, from, from starting out that the remote control car was my first, for the lions was my first bit of enrichment that I ever did. And, you know, going that, 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 you know, intense that quickly was a bit of a, bit of a yeah. step, deep but, end, get in the deep yeah. end stuff. Why not yeah. just go big or go home. Right. Yeah. Um, um, but it, it is, it's, it's amazing. There's, there's so many things that we can do to keep animals appropriately, you know, entertained and excited and, and stimulated. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's just making sure that we do do those things and that's kind of that's that's kind of what's led me all the way through my my journey really is kind of trying to do as much of that as possible yeah I, and I I feel that when I talk to you that this is this is all leading up to actually what you do now so I'm going to to take the audience out of their suspense um, and we're going to talk about what you do now in your business because it's really really interesting so tell us what you do now Mark so basically, um, five years ago, myself and my business partner, Chris, um, decided to take the leap into self-employment. And we'd started running 
team building workshops basically or, or corporate workshops we used to call them um, where we got corporate groups basically to, to pay to come and build enrichment for the animals and the reason the genuine reason we started it was because we had loads of designs we had loads of ideas but we didn't have any time and we didn't have any money so we were like well who has money corporate people um who has some time corporate people so we'll allow yeah. them the, the opportunity to come in and pay to, to to build these things for the animals and then you know we'll take them down and they can see the results going in and it would be a really nice day for them and the animals will benefit um mm -hmm. and it and it and it worked it, it you know it got really good response really good feedback and so when we went self-employed we really wanted to kind of take it much further and we wanted to make sure that not you know Obviously, it's nice if a corporate group comes in and spends some money and, and builds something. But actually, obviously, as a business point of view, you want them also to have a really good time and you want them to, you know, tell all their friends and, and come back. Yeah. So we really kind of dug down on this team building side of it because we we've done a lot of work with keepers over the years. And it is amazing, this power of building stuff for animals and the way that it brings people together, even for people who do it as a job. Um, and my favorite example, we were doing a workshop in Romania with um, uh, basically staff at this zoo and the manager said to us that we've got these three keepers who cannot stand each other they literally you can't put them in the same room together they will just end up in a screaming match <laughs> we've got a, we've got these group projects where we've got to get them you know people working together do you think it's a really stupid idea to put these three keepers together and we were like no do it you know we'll we'll, we'll be there to kind of facilitate yeah. and um, and if there's problems and stuff we can kind of deal with it but um about halfway through building these items for the animals a load of other keepers kind of ran up to us and said have you seen what's going on over there and we were like oh god what's happening and we looked over and these three keepers were laughing and joking over drills and saws and you know big chunks of wood and then at lunchtime the three of them ran off got their lunch and came straight back and and we were talking to them and it was like this never happens they don't you know they, they take as long on their breaks as possible and and these are guys that work with animals all the time yeah. So for people who, you know, their day to day job is, you know, keyboards and computer screens and stuff, giving them a drill and a saw and telling them to build something for a, a monkey or a tiger or, you know, whatever yeah. in itself, you know, it's completely out of a comfort zone, but it's something really, really different. And it's and memorable. And I think that's the thing you see about anything, isn't it? Because there was a time where everybody did loads of team building. There's all sorts of things you could do. But actually, um, I think it's about it being memorable. So you go back and talk about it. And then that's obviously how everybody spreads the word about what you do, as well as the benefits that it's been to them. I'm interested in these keepers because did they ever come back and feed back to you what made them able to work together um to be honest we didn't really ask um i'm kind of it's almost like you know <laughs> you've kind of solved the problem a little bit you don't yeah, want to kind of go back it. and poke, <laughs> get apart and then they go oh wait yeah i hate yeah. this <laughs> because working with animals is emotive and you you know people get really invested understandably you think how emotional people get about their pets and, and how you know invested in their lives and you've got people working with these huge you know well they're not i mean even like the tiniest animal it's still very easy to get really kind of you know obsessively kind of excited about their lives and what they do and stuff so when okay. when when things change and when things happen it's you know pe people have different ideas of how best to deal with that and stuff so so we we um we thought well we can we can really play into this and we can really kind of make sure that the people who are coming to do our team builds get those benefits you know if, if we're getting them to come and build stuff for animals anyway we want we want to make sure that they're getting something in return and um and because every workshop we do is is bespoke, it, we tailor it because, you know, if we just made the same stuff over and over again, 
it's not going to work for the animals. It still might work for the corporates, but I don't think it would be as good. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we, we find out from people how many are coming along and how long they've got and, and where they're going, because obviously all the places we work have different, different sort of animals and different needs. Yeah. And then we kind of think about, you know, what the keepers have told us that they're, they're after and, um, and we design something for them to build. So it's, it's got a lot of freedom to it in that we can really, if, if people have a, a, a real kind of specific desire to come out of their team building, like communication or, um, yeah. or something, we can make sure that whatever it is that they're building relies on good communication to be successful, for example. I love and it, that. And I was going to say to you, you know, do you kind of take the brief from the client? Actually, the, here's the things we want to achieve from the people side of things. And then you're connecting it then with the actual activity, what they're going to make for the benefit of the animal. I mean, this is just awesome, isn't it? You're connecting up all of these different needs um, with this team building. I just yeah. think that's, that's really amazing. It's very clever. Well, it's, I, I mean, it kind of grew quite organically, really. It just, but I, I mean, the two play into each other so well. I mean, I've always had a, myself and my colleague have always had a kind of a thing about, you know, zoo education and, and zoo animal welfare. They are completely intertwined because if, if you've, even if you've got the very best education program in the world, if people are coming in and seeing animals that are, you know, depressed or, or, or pacing or whatever you're, it is you're trying to teach them or tell them, it's not going to work. So if you, if you can show animals in as good an environment as you can give them in the best welfare you can give them and then give the educational message about, you know, why people need to be excited about this and care about this and stuff. So, so the two are really interlinked and the, and the, the team building side of it just really kind of, it just invests people in like, you know, I'm really helping something and I'm some, it, it, it's also, I, I love the, lots of people want to touch the animals. Like, Oh, do we get to, do we get to pat the animal? And it's like, well, no, actually, if you try to pat the tiger, that's a bad, it's a bad idea. <laughs> yeah. if, you get, if you get to see the tiger, like lying on the platform that you built for it. I almost, for me, that's almost a better feeling Yeah. because the, 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 the I mean, I have patted a tiger and it is amazing, but it's really transitory. It's really like, you do it and it's gone and you can't remember it. And, you know, people mm. take photos and stuff and they look back, but you just, that feeling doesn't, doesn't stay. No. But if you, if you build something and you watch the animal enjoying it, like it's amazing. It really lasts. Yeah. And it's, it's kind of a, I, I say, I, I personally think it's a better experience. I, I, I didn't kind of get into the industry to kind of cuddle animals and stuff. I, I want to, <laughs> yeah, like we get taken on lots of zoo tours and stuff and they call like, do you want to, do you want to hold the, hold the animal or do you want to touch the animal? I'm like, Actually, no. I, just want to, I just want to watch the animal and see, <laughs> see the cool stuff that it does. Yeah. I and love that. That's, that's so true though, isn't it? And I can imagine it would be really rewarding to see an animal working or playing or sitting on something that I'd actually made. I think that would be really, really great. Very rewarding. <laughs> It is the best thing. Like I, I mean, I've been doing it for 15 years and it's, you know, we've had some highs and lows, but even, even when it doesn't quite work, even when it's like, you know, it, the, the idea was there, but it, it just didn't quite do everything you wanted it to. There's still a real buzz from that. And when it does work, like we, we did one the other week, a team build the other week, which unfortunately I, I was away for, so I didn't get to see the, the result, but we designed this thing that I was so excited about. And I was gutted that I like, was in Singapore messaging like I stayed up till midnight to to make sure that I heard the results of what actually happened because that was yeah. the point that we we're going to finish in the UK and it was this feeder for otters that we you know complete prototype we had no idea if it's going to work the way we wanted it to and stuff and the just when the video came through on on the email I was just like I was so happy just to see this oh. you know this response and this thing that we kind of 
really thought about and it, and it worked first time, which is pretty amazing. That doesn't oh, always happen. So brilliant. But, um, that's so good. So, so if I'm a corporate listening or, you know, anyone listening actually, who might want to do some sort of team building, because this doesn't necessarily just have to be corporate. It could be groups of people I imagine could come and do this, couldn't they? Just for something different. Um, yeah, no, what's, what's kind of the typical, um, is it a day that it lasts? Is it a half day? We've generally got the sort of three options of we can do we can do a two hour one, um, which I think a lot is actually our, our most common one because a lot of people tend to do kind of like a conference in the morning, and then lunch, and then they come to us kind of in the afternoon. Yeah. A sort of nice kind of roundup of the day. Um, uh, so the the two hours we can it's amazing actually what you can achieve in two hours. A lot of people assume it's it's going to be you know kind of a bit kind of quick and rushed but it's it's you can still achieve a lot and then we've got half day and full day options which we can do much bigger builds from so like we have uh, with the half day and the full days we can actually if people if people want not everyone wants to but we can kind of actually go into an enclosure and build you know some some climbing frames or something we recently did like building some climbing frames for baboons for example so they were kind of putting the poles up and building the platforms and stuff and um and that's something that can last you know we've got platforms that we built we've got a cheetah platform that we built five years ago when we first became self-employed it still looks amazing um That's so great. again it's you know people can kind of go back with their families and take their kids and go look actually you know i made that and it's it's nice it's and where do i have to come to to take part in your events so we've got six six partners sorry we just added one so i had to make sure i'm not yeah. gonna maths um yeah six partners that we work with around the uk um so we've got um port Lim in kent um we've got um woven safari park um, oh yeah that's near me that's where i live yeah, yeah. uh longley in um uh over in um, wiltshire um and then we've got knowsley safari park up in merseyside and edinburgh zoo up in scotland and then we've also got, um, there's a private monkey sanctuary in Ascot, which isn't open to the public, um, which I'm a trustee for, so I'm slightly biased, but I do absolutely love working with it because it's, it's like 10 acres of woodland. It's like, you know, no one else is going in there. It's just going to be, it's yeah. just you guys. So it's like, that um, wonderful. yeah, so that's kind of, that's more of our back to nature one because it is, you know, you're kind of out in the woods and it's not got the same kind of corporate hospitality as our other, our other yeah. places that we work with. But again, yeah. you know, a lot of people like like that sort of side of things and stuff. So, so I mean, I love what you're doing, and you know that because we had that that virtual cup of tea, and and I think you're doing you're doing even more, and you're even further, you know, around the country now, aren't you, with your partners, of you as you've just mentioned. So it's mm-hmm. all expanding and going the right way. So, kind of, what is the the future for this? What what do you see it doing? I mean, I really hope. I, I mean, I I literally have huge aspirations of what it potentially you know could could grow into um the 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 sort of the furthest reach is kind of you know that's a big that's a big jump and if I get there then great but it's if I don't get there I'm not gonna you know I'm not gonna lose sleep over it it's that's a huge dream but um I think in certainly in the short term I mean we want to build what we do we want to we want to run as many workshops as we can because we the more workshops we run the more stuff we build for animals um and I want to build, we, we've got a team of um, five amazing assistants who are all, they all have other jobs. Um, but, you know, we, when we can call on them, you know, when, when we need them, when we, we've got like some of our workshops, we've got like 100 people. So we need just just me and Chris isn't quite enough to kind of no. keep an eye on the health and safety on that side of things. So, um, so those guys are awesome and they dip in and out. But I mean, in the long term, I want to I want to provide them with kind of jobs and, and build it to a point where we can kind of train them up and 
That's great. Do they have to be qualified in terms of being keepers and, and on the animal side from your point of view? We actually, so it's in the past, what we've done is because we run courses for students who want to become, who want to work in the animal world, basically. Um, so again, on, on focused on enrichment and, and the, the practical side of things, because a lot of the university courses, they teach a lot of theory, but they don't always have the opportunity to do the practical stuff. So we basically kind of bring people in for three and a half days and give them a kind of an intensive you know, step-by-step step kind of designing and, and building and stuff. Um, and we've always kind of used that as a bit of a, a training ground. So we, we, we watch, usually we have about 20 participants and Chris and I both watch over the three and a half days, just how people interact with each other and how they get on. And, and, um, and usually then what will happen is we'll have a conversation at the end and sort of compare notes on, on who, if anyone stood out yeah. and, um, if there was one that we can kind of agree on that was like, yeah, no, actually they really deserve a, an opportunity um, because they, they put so much of themselves into it. Um, we then usually invite them back to help run another of the courses. So then we get to work with them for three and a half days. They get to put it on their CVs. And if they kind of pass that test, then we say, would you like to come and help us run team builds? Um, and then we can actually pay them because the, obviously that's the, the idea is that we don't want to, we don't want volunteers and stuff. We want to actually, most of the time in the animal world, if you if you want to get any experience, you've got to, you've got a volunteer. Which yeah, is, yeah, definitely. But you've got this of, kind of natural HR process going on, haven't you? And at the same time, you're doing the courses and you're teaching, and it's it sounds to me like you've just got this really lovely rounded business where you're you're doing all of the elements. You're not just doing one thing. So it's not just about team building. It's about education around animals which mm -hmm. I think is so important for us. We don't know enough about the animals that live in our world. And we also don't know enough about um, how endangered some of them are. You know, yes. I know we hear bits and bobs, but we don't know enough. And we also don't always know what we can do about it. You know, Absolutely. when I did my TEDx talk, there was a guy on there from the World Wildlife Fund. Mm -hmm. He spoke about the polar bears. The point really is that I just adored his talk because, again, it was educating us about how they behave, what's happening to them in their lives, you know. And for me, I think, I mean, I don't do enough uh, with regard to animals. I could probably do more. Um, I don't have all the time in the world, and none of us do. But I think it's just nice for us to know a little bit more about that educational piece, actually. You know, we think animals, if, if they're pacing our board, are depressed. And you've just quite rightly said to us, could be a whole number of reasons that they behave the way they behave. And they can't talk, Mark, for goodness sake. I mean, yeah. how much easier would it be if they could talk to us? Oh, so much. Well, it'd be a noisy world, but it would be, <laughs> it would. Yeah, we'd be more informed. Um, no, you're absolutely right. And it, and it is, it's, it's knowing... Um, and the, I, I, I do want to kind of clarify. So normally, if you actually do see an animal that is showing a behavioural issue like like pacing, it is normally a sign of a problem. So it's not to say that actually, oh well, it might just be excited. So we kind of excuse it. It's still something that we we kind of work on. Yeah, it's, sure. It, it might not be. I think a lot of people assume it's clear cut that it's oh, it must just be. It's not good enough to do. Um, and some animals, unfortunately, they do get to a point where they're so ingrained, even if they move somewhere else, where they get the best care and attention because they're in a habit you know it's like smoking you know once you kind of start it's hard to break that or you know biting your fingernails it's it's one of those kind of things where to to, to then try and 
redirect that behavior is is really hard but it's not to say it's impossible and it's not to say we shouldn't be doing everything we can to try but you know even 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 in the best welfare conditions some animals will will still show show those problem behaviors these are these are animals in our own backyard that we can we can actually do something about we can provide some refuges we can put up bird feeders we can put up nest boxes you know it's there's there's lots we can do you know from changing our consumer habits to, to to just taking a little bit of direct action it doesn't have to be hours and hours of volunteering and 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 slogging and enslaving it, it can just be Little the right donation in the right place yeah whatever you can do yeah as long as you do something i mean i could actually sit and talk to you for probably two hours mark quite <laughs> honestly because it's all really interesting stuff and what's really nice for me is that now on my podcast we're talking about some animal stuff and mm. you know there's all sorts on there to be fair we've now done over 30 episodes but this is a really nice one in terms of we've not talked about this subject before and i think it's great and then we're mixing it in with business as well that makes it even more powerful I think that people can come and actually experience making something that's going to be of benefit to the animals that's that's so wonderful so just to finish off um I want to just ask you one thing because it's something that really um it's just occurred to me as we've been talking are you doing any public speaking not really no I think one of the amazing things you could do if you wanted to, because you need to want to do stuff like this, but I'm doing a lot more speaking now. And I think with the subject matter, with your knowledge, um, I think it would be so good if you were actually professionally speaking at conferences, at corporate events even. But the knowledge you've got and the message you've got is actually really important. And public speaking isn't always about you and whether you want to do it, Mark. It's actually Mm. about the audience. And yeah, it's about yeah. the message you've got. And, and I, as we've been talking through the podcast, I just keep thinking, this guy needs to be on stage with, with some sort of keynotes around this subject because I think that would be really, really beneficial. So hold that thought, will you? I will, I promise. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so bossy. <laughs> yeah, it's right. Sometimes you need someone to say, actually, just get on and do it. It definitely complements the business that you're doing. But just have a think about it, whether there's just a couple of events where you can pitch up and actually um, make a real difference, Mark, in all honesty. So I've, I've totally loved talking to you today. I, I found out even more about the depth of what you're doing, which is awesome. Um, I'm going to make sure everybody's got the links in the podcast so that they can connect with you. So just send those through to me on LinkedIn because that's where we're connected. But I just want to thank you because I've, I've really, really enjoyed talking about this. I've learned stuff. I'm always learning as well myself. So that's, that's been brilliant. And I wish you all the success with this. This is a really amazing thing that you're doing. So thank you so much. Thank you, James. I appreciate it. And to all the listeners, you know, I really hope you've enjoyed sort of just thinking about this in a different way, because I think that's what it's all about. It's not just about going out and having a jolly with the corporate team. This is about making a difference, which is just wonderful. So I hope you've enjoyed our human conversation with the lovely Mark. And we'll be here again, probably in about a week's time. I tend to publish them on a weekly basis now. And you can listen to us on SoundCloud, iTunes and Spotify. So please subscribe and please like what we're doing and tell everyone that you meet about the human conversation. Thanks for listening. We will see you soon. Ta-da for now. You've just been listening to the Human Conversation podcast with Jules White. 
To find out more about the other work that Jules does, please visit her website, www.liveitloveitsellit.co.uk. And if you enjoyed the podcast, then please do leave a rating and review on the platform you use to enjoy her show. Thanks for listening and see you next time.